Hashtag Psychotherapy Unfogged with Mark Fielding Hi, good morning and welcome to episode 12 of Psychotherapy Unfogged. Um, as you know, this season we're dealing with recovery and road to recovery. And as you also know, we've had quite a lot of different therapists on, you know, from different disciplines, talking around, you know, their techniques and, you know, how they weave into recovery and road to recovery. And I've wanted to have a life coach on, or probably coach is a better description than life coach, that's maybe a little bit antiquated. Uh, and so I've got the pleasure today of introducing you to Anna Lomprier. Now, Anna has a really wide skill set, and we're going to try and touch on all of the things that, you know, she brings to the table today. Um, I mean, Anna is the founder of the Speak You Method, um, TEDx Public Speaking, inspiring women to share their voice. She's also a coach, the conscious coach, and also, you know, a, 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 is a is a yoga teacher. And I guess you've been doing that for years, Anna, haven't you? So, so maybe we could kick off. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you into the field. Good morning, Mark, and um, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's very, very heartwarming and exciting to be here. <laughs> so what led me on my path to be a coach and a yoga teacher and all of the work that I do is my own suffering, really. So I think from a really, I mean, I had an interesting start to life, and so in my 20s, I had this realization that I had some control over my own response to life because I found that I had a lot of um, self-consciousness and anxiety and felt that I was sensitive and different to other people and so felt like an outsider. And then I found, I don't know if you've heard this book, but she was a kind of leading alumni, um, I believe, of the self-help um, revolution, which was Louise Hay in the, um, in the 90s. So I was about, I think I was about 20, actually, when I found her. And it was a revelation. She was a revelation to me because I think, you know, nowadays we can put down that idea of self-help book and it being woo-woo, et cetera. But even that word self-help, being able to take responsibility at so, you know, of course, all sorts of therapy is amazing. And to be able to take that responsibility to go, I have some power over myself to create my reality and at least um, have an input into my reality. So that's really where it started from a, a, a a wound really in childhood and all that suffering getting to a tipping point where I've got to I've got to do something I can't I can't carry on like this I need to find a path to joy and a or at least sometimes <laughs> yeah, sure. and then Louise Hay is interesting I mean Louise Hay I mean it's a she was part of my kind of self-help journey I mean I think I had a similar kind of journey really you know I, I went on you know a kind of binge of self, self-help really looking for answers yeah. Louise Hay was yeah. part of that the, the power is within you do, do I remember that is that one of her books or... it might be yeah. yeah the one that I really loved was you can heal your life yeah. because she talked and again I think she was quite um pioneering in her um in her intuition of feeling like 
some there is some link between the body and the mind and our health and well-being and the body is a reflection of our self um our subconscious mind potentially and um you know now we have a lot of knowledge about gut brain you know that relationship between the gut and the brain and all of that sort of thing and she was already talking about all of that um well 30 years ago yeah where as well yeah yeah, and, and and so, you know, this was part of your own kind of journey of healing, you know, and that journey was kind of self-healing. And I think this is probably, you know, a story that most therapists can really, really resonate with. This, your own healing kind of led into wanting to, you know, bring that to healing others, really transforming way, your own suffering into care and help for others, which I think is always quite a beautiful thing, really. I agree. Um, what I think is interesting for me is what do they say? You teach best what you need to learn. And somehow that therapeutic process with working with somebody else or a group of other people, it it can feel like that it's, well, I don't know whether you find this, but a lot of the time the people that I attract to work with at different stages in my life have almost had similar themes to me and I've got that wisdom. Uh, I think it was Jung that said, I heard a quote recently that said, you don't get to be wise unless you've suffered. You know, that's how wisdom comes, isn't it? It's that knowledge and experience and the empathy that is gained and the depth because you've been there. Mm. Or yeah, that's what I feel um, has, has sort of happened to me. Yeah, and so true, you know, I mean, growth from suffering, you know, I mean, I'm a big kind of believer in post-traumatic growth, you know, I thought, it's not always the case, you know, I mean, obviously trauma is incredibly difficult thing for people to, to deal with, you know, but but often there is a kind of accelerated personal growth through suffering, you know, I guess this is what you're speaking about, isn't it? Yeah. We, we yeah. suffer and we learn from it and we grow from it, you know, and then we kind of come out the other side, hopefully, um you know with, with with learning really and in a better place to yeah. kind of move forward into life i mean so, so your own healing journey and you know self-help and louise hay so how did that then lead you into into the coaching profession what what was what was yes the- so um well i started after having my daughter who is now 21 so and for me at the age of 31 having my daughter and before that um, most of the the therapeutic work was training to be a yoga teacher and self-help and, you know, that kind of um, interest, going to workshops, learning to meditate, all of that, and study of Vedic philosophy. So I was really interested, interested in not just yoga as in, you know, the postures, asana, asana, but, but the, the, philosophy of life so up until the age of 31 that was my interest and then when I um had Isabel I started to realize that I needed to get a proper job I needed something that was a bit more stable than being an actor because you know when you don't have a child you can do stuff for cheap you can do stuff for free and also the hours were so different so um being an actor I looked um, and spoke to loads of different friends and I landed myself this really amazing job which was working for a company called ideology and they still exist and they are a bespoke company um the ID stands for identity 
and the ology the study of so it was right up my street because that's that's yeah that was my is my passion and um they i i started by they employed me as um because of my background as a performer to go in and work with executives to develop their confidence to speak mm. and so they were going into big organizations like credit suisse in canary wolf um sky um, Turner Broadcasting. I worked with some incredible big blue chip organizations. And what was funny, Mark, was that I, it was like chalk and cheese. I was a lovely, you know, um, thespian going into a corporate executive space. And at first, I really felt like I did not fit. And I had to learn a new language and find a bridge between that. And so I worked with them for about eight years. And went from uh, being more of an apprentice and following around with the CEO to delivering my own workshops on pitching, confidence, communication, and what terrifies people and what gets in the way. And then I think about nine years ago, maybe, uh, I trained, I, I started to see that there, were, there was a lot more coaching occurring in corporate and in business. Mm. And, um, I, I thought it would be a really good contribution, if you like, to the work that I was doing. Because also, as a yoga teacher, you find it's, again, it's not just about posture. You find that I, I was very inspired by philosophy. And I, I felt as a practitioner of yoga that when the teacher that I went to would talk about philosophy and, you know, the human condition and the challenges that we face every day, then I would get inspired. So I felt like I was already coaching and teaching. And so I thought I'd like to get a formal training. And um, so that's when I found barefoot coaching. So barefoot coaching are a a gold standard, um, you know, um, leading coaching organization based in this country. They're affiliated with Chester University and they will do, you'll do a postgraduate course in it. And, um, you know, because when I knew I was doing this interview, I, I thought, I know you're going to ask me what you, I think the difference is between coaching and psychotherapy or counseling, etc. And um, it was interesting because I was sort of reading on the internet about how, you know, coaching can can be considered a little bit, um, oh, how do I find the right word? Um, well, not as safe because I know as a psychotherapist, you have to have all sorts of, um, um, you know, like you're probably in psychotherapy three or four times a week when you're training or there's a certain sure. amount of hours and, um, you you know, you're having supervision and all that sort of thing. So, um, and there can be an understanding that you can just say you're a life coach without any training. And I'm sure that could be the case. Um, yeah, I do believe that, you know, I'm, I'm part of the International Coaching Federation and you have to have a certain amount of hours and you can, you know, you get levels to sort of say, you know, you can become a master coach. And um, yeah, so I trained to do that and it was an incredible course. 
And what was good about it for me is that they supported me not only to train to be a coach, but also um, how to really get into the get into the corporate coaching side and how to build your business, which I'm, you know. So um, yeah, that's really when when I started coaching as well as training and facilitating and teaching. So it's it's kind of like a like you were saying at the beginning, there's quite a lot to what I do. Yeah, and you bring, you know, I mean, the crossover of, you know, all of your experience in all of those different areas, I mean, it's fascinating. You know, I mean, the, the, the acting, you know, the, the the coaching, I mean, you bring, you know, the, the Vedic philosophy, the yoga, I mean, you bring all of that into your coaching practice, which I think must be fantastic for the people that you coach. I mean, it, it, is, a, it is a really, really wide skill set. And I don't say that to flatter you, but you do bring a lot, Anna, don't you, as a practitioner? yeah yeah I think I think um why I liked coaching is that it's quite creative so you you do learn um a background like we sort of looked at Carl Rogers and unconditional positive yeah. regard and boundary setting and all that sort of thing to create a safe container uh and I think because of the journey that I've been on, my coaching is deep and quite therapeutic. We do look at the past. You know, I think some of the things I was looking at is that the idea is that coaching is much more future orientated. And I do agree. And yet I also feel that you've got to understand when we get to a level of success or a level of um, being in the world and we want to shift it, we do have to look at what blocks us. And usually it is assumptions and beliefs from the past. So um, yeah, the coaching um, and the um, all the other skills, that's why I really went for the coaching and liked the coaching is because it's very, sorry, that's my dog barking. Yeah, it's Give okay, my dog was barking earlier too. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Um, it's quite creative, so I can bring in the performance and being an actor and bring in the performance skills and look at how um, you can manage nerves and anxiety through being, you know, that the, because when you're an actor, you have to be able to do that to be able to go on stage yeah. and working with mindset and all that sort of thing. And also voice skills to um, embody confidence. Uh, and being much more in the body so that a lot of that ele element is brought in with my coaching is embodied em embodied work from the acting from the yoga and then yeah you're right the yoga also inspires um the philosophy and the psychological approaches that I might share with my clients as well yeah yeah, absolutely. And and I guess in terms of the kind of going back, I mean, in, in the, the Speak You programme, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. for, for a lot of people, you know, public speaking is, you know, absolute worst yeah. nightmare and pitching and, you know, really, really difficult. But as part of the Speak You programme, will you look at some of the blockages? Because, because I guess all of the people that come onto the Speak You programme, they're all wanting to get better, you know, and inspiring women. You work with a lot of women, you know, in, in corporations, yes. which I think is fantastic. But I'm guessing you must have to look back at a little bit at their individual blockages because they all bring their own personal history in, don't they? Yes. And it comes again from personal experience because 
I noticed all my life, even as an actor, I judged myself really harshly. So I heard this anecdote the other day or a few, you know, quite a while ago. And then I heard it again the other day, which was the four things that are the most traumatic and um, challenging to a human being are death, divorce, moving house. And guess what the fourth one is? Public speaking. Um, yeah, no surprise. Yeah. And do you know what the order was? People would rather die than public speak. <laughs> right well i guess you know yeah i mean i yeah i mean i can that's insane that. isn't it i mean yeah. look that's a joke and it's an anecdote yeah. but um i think the reason why people are so terrified to be in front of an audience is judgment is yeah, the sure. fear of being judged and that the the the, the um, exposure and um, and that's my that was my personal experience was that every time I went on stage, every time I went to an audition, I felt that I was the, being judged. Yeah. And what I teach and what I think is fascinating is that we project and I'm sure in, in therapy, that's probably um, I, I don't know if it's a Jungian term or a, a Freud's term, but that projection, you project onto the audience what you believe about yourself. Yeah, so true. And that is where, that is where the the sort of going back into the past and looking at what do you believe about yourself? What were you told? Or, or sometimes, Mark, and it's interesting, the woman thing, because I think as well, uh, you know, we look at feminism and how that's weaved in and we've heard so much about women, you know, the judgment of if you're a confident person, it's it's not it doesn't go down well if you're outspoken it doesn't go down well um you know there's all that that and you know going back hundreds of years not that many hundreds of years ago you know be in the, you know i think this is in our dna being kind of witch hunted if you like for being outspoken or being yeah, different yeah. It's, it's almost like the and i do think this is a female thing but i also think this is a human thing it's like putting yourself out there to potentially be judged in a negative um i think people i think people would just rather not but the big thing is is what i've what's the work that i do with women is this recognition that somehow we judge people as well is that if you're confident enough to overcome that judgment and you see someone up there that is giving a speech and they aren't falling apart and they're talking their idea we that's a massive um um it propels people to success it seems to you know because all of us perhaps you know nine times out of ten anyway are terrified of it or uncomfortable with it when you see someone that does it it's like oh wow they're amazing they need to be a leader do you know what i mean even even though you know you can talk it but can you actually walk it, it could be a completely different thing but if you're a good communicator people buy into it yeah i mean absolutely and, and there's so much in what you say i mean just to pick up on, on one of the things yeah i mean this is a massive subject i mean we could have a whole you know we could probably have a hundred shows about this but you know the social construction around you know women and you know and how they have to present and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable you know i mean that is enormous you know in the whole of the, the you know in the whole of life but in the corporate space 
I mean, even more, there's even more layering, isn't there? You know, so I guess you know, the Speak You programme, you're really encouraging women to move out of that fear of judgment, you know, and a lot of that is socially constructed and internalised by women growing up, you know, from birth, really, you know, yes. and, and really kind of find their authentic voice and be themselves in the world and in the corporate space. This is what you're aiming at, I think, isn't it? That's exactly right. That was really yeah. beautifully articulated. And I really like the social construct language that you use. Um, because it is it's in our conditioning uh from childhood it's you, you know we're we're absorbing it and um you, you know that 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 journey to authenticity is a life's work isn't it it's like it's it does we go deep for six months or three months and you know that focus as soon as we start focusing on something it starts to awaken um but for example, you know, the difference between perfectionism and authenticity, if you look at it on a societal level, going into corporates, when I started going into corporates, which was in 2002 or three, people were still very much suited, really, you know, quite um, restrained. And um, you think that's how long ago is that? 2002, so that's nearly, well, what's that, 25 years? I'm not very good at maths. Yeah. 20 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> 20 years, how much things have changed and, and how um, it really felt like you would walk through the doors and you could cut the atmosphere with a knife, that feeling of um, restriction. And nowadays what we're, what, what corporates and humanity or you know definitely um a lot of humanity is recognizing it's actually the humanity of a person that is interesting so um one of the things i talk about is if you think about when you watch a chat show like chatty man or graham norton and they're interviewing these amazing stars like I don't know, angelina jolie let's take her most most said to be the most beautiful woman in the world or um next to beyonce um is what are we looking for when they're being interviewed is we are looking for a flaw. We are looking for an edge. We're looking, if a really good interviewer is interviewing, what we want to see is a human being because we've projected onto them perfection. They're a star, they're flawless. And what we're looking for, we're desperate to see their humanity so that we can feel a connection of, you know, oh, I, she's beautiful, but she's also a human being and it's not staged and um you know why did big brother in however many years ago it was now become so big was because we want to see ourselves we want a mirror and we want to see ourselves um in in art or in in any kind of performance or presentation but we have been conditioned and it's continual, isn't it? It's like day in, day out, we are fed an opposite. We're fed, you know, at this age, you're meant, you know, you, you're aging, aging even that for women is said to, you know, you become more and more invisible. It's not seen like in other cultures, you'll be, you know, elders are seen as these wisdom keepers and are revered. And yet, you know, in our society, old age, it's like, oh, you know, we can't care for them. It's massive, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the difference between, you know, between cultures. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. I mean, just in terms of, of ageing and, you know, and this is, you know, all the more true, I think, for, for women in this in this, in society. But yeah, I mean, it's the, the social construction over ageing and people being dismissed. <laughs> 
because they're older and they're looking at you know some you know other cultures so you know some eastern cultures where that is completely flipped you know people with yeah. experience life experience are really venerated you know for their wisdom which does make a bit more sense really really yeah. does doesn't it rather than just on the way that we look you know of course we want to do the best we can to look the best we can um but to be you know feel like we are being judged on that is the most important thing on how we look yeah. um not nothing to do with if we're kind if we've got wisdom if we've spent a life you know gathering knowledge about something um or that you're just a really good mum or really you know none of that is um well it's slowly i think it is chipping away there is more around it so getting back to the program and what the the, the difference between authenticity and perfectionism is in the speech and in the work that I'm doing is I'm saying you can't really go wrong when you give a speech, you know? I don't think so. I think it's those moments, um, and, and I like to paint for a bit of a hobby. I don't do lots of it because I don't give myself enough time, but it's sometimes when you're painting even, it's the mistakes that become the beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, and just to kind of, yeah, I mean, I'm associating this really to what you were saying about, you know, with stars on TV shows and wanting to find the human connection. I mean, I guess it is through our vulnerabilities, isn't it, as human beings that we yeah. connect. I mean, yes, how we connect, isn't it, by being vulnerable human beings and showing that vulnerability to others. Yeah, yes. I mean, and, and, and you've mentioned perfectionism a few times. I mean, again, this is a big subject, but do you find a lot of perfectionism in corporations? Because perfectionism can be very, very destructive for people. I mean, it is so common, isn't it? And there's lots and lots of reasons for that. But I mean, do you find that that pops up a lot in kind of corporations in some of the women that you work with? Yeah, I mean, there's been there's been a big swathe of change in um, big corporations where they are definitely. Um, becoming much more socially conscious yeah. and becoming much more um, human focused rather than just productivity focused. Um, but even so, like uh, re recently I, I ran a program and just the stages that some, you know, that we all go through, um, women, you know, having a baby, coming back after having a baby and you're or, or going through the menopause. What's happening, and I know this happens for men in different ways as well, I can only speak because I'm a woman from my own experience and, and I work predominantly with women, but what happens is you're going through a change of identity, you know, you come back and you're a mother, you've been a mother for the last however, you know, maybe you've had six months off, maybe you've had a year off, maybe you've come straight back to work, your whole identity has changed. And, you know, they call it a baby brain, which, you know, in a way it is, but it's, it also feels a, a, a tiny bit insulting even to put that, put it in that yeah. small, it's yeah. everything has changed. You have created something, which mm. is the most precious thing that a human being can, can do, isn't it? It's, can, yeah. you know, create a child. And you're coming back into a world where there is, minimal consideration for that the emotional um 
potential for that you know some people can they can do it but also a lot of the time you come back and your role has changed they have to give you a role but you might not necessarily get the role that you've worked at uh, and you're just expected, you know, a lot of the time, and as I say, things are changing. But I, and, and also going through the menopause, I mean, I'm, I'm perimenopausal at the moment. And it has literally, I mean, this is another big, massive conversation, Mark, but it's literally floored me this year. I have felt like I've been on the edge of sanity at times. And some of the women that I've worked with have felt the same. And um, in a corporate setting where you've got to be on it, just imagine if you have to hold this sort of the space of a, a, a meeting and you can't remember what you need to say. Or the other aspect that I think is not as much spoken about is the mental health aspect of menopause. You know, it's got a cliche around it, like everyone shout, you know, women are shouty and crying, whatever. But actually your mental health, the serotonin levels and all of that change. And I I went through, and some of the women that I've um, worked with were sort of saying, I literally felt like I was quaking inside, like I was breaking down, almost like um that image of being in a chrysalis and all my internal identity and self sense of self was turning to mush and all the thing and it's so weird and it's like all the things that i could identify with i'm a coach i'm this i'm confident i'm this you know all these i ams gone yeah and it's like you're just walking around and still the drive as well has changed and you know and yet, at the same time, if you look at women, 40s to 50s, that's when they're carrying a huge amount of wisdom, empathy, understanding. And if given the right support, could be amazing leaders. Yeah. Um, and, and yet, so, so I think companies are starting to bring much more um, awareness around that and focus around that and investment in that. Um, and my work is is about being almost like a, a big sister or a cheerleader and going, it's okay that if you can speak about it, because a lot of the time it's hidden, it's like, it's like, oh, this is my shame and I'll get sacked or I won't succeed or I won't progress. And it's the shame. And, and so for me, it's around being able to say, you've got rights. And actually, if you speak about it, think about all the other women in your team, in this organization, going forward, maybe your daughters or for society, you know, you're not just saying your experience for you. And that can really help. And a lot of the women that I've supported like that say it's their lives have been transformed and they're, they're absolutely smashing it now because of that, because it's almost like being given permission because a lot of the time the company will pay for me to do the course. So even that investment is saying to the people that do the course, well, if this woman is saying it's okay and the company have paid this woman and she's saying it's okay, I am, I, it is okay for me to be me with all the facets and the flaws and the edges. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just amazing, really. I mean, in terms of kind of menopause, I mean, so it sense the self really breaking down, really, in a way, yeah. serotonin levels. And and I think the shame aspect, I think, is probably true. I think, you know, we're and this is probably, I would imagine this is not just in corporations, the things like menopause, 
you know, these things have been covered up, haven't they? These things, you know, society have not wanted to hear about it. You know, it's coming out more, and just as you say, more women talking about it and sharing their experiences. This is the way things change, and this is what your programme is encouraging. Well, yes, and I don't even, I, I think it's probably not even a um, hundred years ago. It's less than a hundred years ago that women were seen as hysterical and were, were given yeah. electric shock treatment and yeah. were put into um, hospitals and just, you know, just for, for being sensitive, for being emotional, for, for having a hormone imbalance or not even that can, how I want to see it and how I have experienced it is it is a soul self threshold change it is an initiation into something else and for a woman i hope this is okay to go in this direction yeah it's fine yeah, yeah. but for a, for a woman who has probably you know for the first half of her life let's say for the first 40 years of her life has been conditioned to be a pleaser a harmonizer to be pretty to be loving to be good to be mothering even if you don't have children and all of that and then going through this time is a threshold to to sort of go what was all that about and who am i now that i'm not bearing children and what is my identity now and Am I of use? And what is my use? And it really makes you dig deep. <laughs> um, and I think this, I think humans have it at different stages, not just women, you know, that that big moments. And we started with it, didn't we, about suffering and that the suffering a lot of the time feels to me, it's almost like alarm bells going, all right, you need change, you need change, you need, you know, you're outgrowing yourself. But but it, it, I mean the chrysalis is you know is a really really good description I think because it's just it's an opportunity for change you know and you mentioned Jung earlier I mean Jung talks talks a lot about kind of midlife and the possibility for transformation around midlife and I think you know as you say I think it's even more true for women because because of the social conditioning you know women having to please having to, women have to care for everyone don't they you know children yeah. men you know relatives. But as yeah. that breaks down, I guess women can connect. And these are strengths, of course, but they can start really reconnecting with these innate strengths and bringing those out into the world, into the corporate space, into the world, you know, yeah. generally. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it must be really inspiring. I mean, when you see, when, when, oh. when some of the women you work with come out of the programme, I mean, yes. fantastic, Anna, I would imagine, seeing yeah. which is, yeah. I think so. I think because... Um, well, you know, I would always call myself, a, you know, it's used a lot of the time as, as an insult, isn't it, to be called a hippie. If we look at the essence of a hippie, a hippie is that they want kindness and that that's their highest value is kindness. And the other thing of being um, a hippie is wanting peace. Okay. But isn't it interesting that we would say that, you know, oh, you're a smelly hippie or this, that, the other. You know, I've always felt that that, um, that, that is the value of, of who I am. And if I can go into a corporate space and be a subversive hippie, okay, where, <laughs> where I can inspire um women to have more confidence 
to then bring about more love. If women, if we say that women are the carers, look, men care, I don't want to completely generalize, but we've we've got empathy, we've got a bit more empathy, haven't we? We're, we're you know, we've got that motherly quality. Um, we tend to take it on other people's stuff and want to, to um, look after other people, et cetera. So imagine, well, this is this is always when I sort of think about going into work for corporates and and in the past, and I do feel corporates are changing and, and there's a lot more sort of social awareness. But imagine for me, I what I always felt is this, if I could go into corporates and support women um, to become CEOs, to become leaders, and then they that they had more a sense of it being a matriarchal or a more balanced um leadership at the top that that we we kind of cared for everybody and not just that within the company but within society and if i could contribute that by helping leaders female leaders to have the confidence to to stand and speak their vision then i feel that's my one of my contributions to society yeah i mean that's really wonderful and you know and another i mean i, I can say about fe feminine energy you know there's so much we'll have to get you back on the channel because there's so many things i would like to ask but you know i mean I, this is kind of fairly reductive but you know i guess the world needs more feminine energy and i don't mean that even in particularly in a gender sense but yes that kind of patriar patriarchal male energy i mean look at <laughs> look at the world you know well, yeah. so we need more balance you know and i guess yes. with more female leaders you know i mean that is definitely definitely going to help and in, in terms of new leadership as well i mean i you know I, I get the sense that is changing you know i guess a lot of corporations and i think that tech industry are really leading this you know yeah, they are, moving they? away from authoritarian fear-based management styles to inclusive compassionate you know well-being focused kind of you yes. know kind of styles you know and it, it makes complete sense doesn't it i mean the bottom line is going to be affected by the happiness of the staff if the staff was supported and their well-being is factored in then yes. the company's going to perform better you know, and everyone is going to be happier. So I think, you know, I think it's a way to go. You know, Dan Goldman, have you ever heard? I'm sure you... Yes, Daniel Goldman, yes. The yeah, I mean, big, big yeah. fan of him. I mean, he works a lot with corporations and kind of changing some of these things. I'm kind of conscious of the time. I'm just wanting to ask yeah. if people want to get in touch with you, Anna, um, they want to join the programme or they just want to get, get in touch with you for yeah. yoga or any of the other things you do. How do they do it? How do they get in touch with Okay, so, um, well, just to say, I am running a Speak You program for entrepreneurs, business women, and individual women who want to learn all those Speak You method skills um, and, and create a speech. I've got one of those in January. The way you can get in contact with me is if you were to type in the internet, the speak you method so don't put just speak you put speak you method you'll find me or the conscious coach Anna Lomprier not so easy to spell the Lomprier but the conscious coach and um on LinkedIn you'll find me Anna Lomprier the conscious coach and on Instagram it's Anna underscore Lomprier Okay, I mean that's fantastic, and we'll share all of your links on all on all of media platforms. Now we, we'll come to the last question. We ask all of our guests this: What would you say is you know your go-to strategy for maintaining good mental health? I mean, it doesn't have to be one so, thing. 
So lovely. I mean, yes, that's my whole, whole, um, I've got a library. What comes to mind though is music. So I have, I create lots of different playlists. In fact, I could share one for your your viewers if you want. I create lots of playlists that have amazing music in them, but also the lyrics inspire me. Um, and, and it's almost like listening to a podcast, finding the right piece of music that has the ideas that I think, but I need to be reminded of. So I will listen to that music and it will just lift my vibration, if you like. So there's an amazing song that I love to listen to by Emily Sandes. You know Emily Sandes? Yeah, yeah. And it's called Extraordinary Being. Um, and it's soulful and it's jazzy and it's uplifting, but the words, you're, you are an extraordinary being. And it's so beautiful. So I'll listen to that or I'll, I'll listen to lots of songs. But I think music, you know, because if you're in a, in a, if I'm in a negative state to say to meditate, I'll close my eyes. It's like it's almost louder than negativity. Yeah, yeah. So um, even though I love to meditate, um, you know, exercise is great. Yoga is great. Breathing is great. But probably the simplest thing for people it's just put some good music on, put some uplifting, energetic, inspirational music that will, you know, lift your heart, open, open your heart a little bit. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that, 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 that's fantastic. And, and just before we finish, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you that you wanted to mention? Well, something. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's been you're an amazing interviewer. It's I've I've done a few podcasts and I've never felt um, this ease. Um, I know, you know, ease of conversation. So I could be on here for another hour chatting to you. I think I just wanted to say about the masculine and the feminine quickly, mm. which I think Jung talked about this is, is the feminine principle and the masculine principle. Yeah. And the, 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 the difference is that we can get into men and women. And I think that is something that's important. And yet the feminine principle and the masculine principle both are needed. Yet because of our societal conditioning, we've become so um, fixed in the masculine, which is a linear, a linear, you know, we've, I've got masculine, you've got feminine, yeah. you know, we've all got a mixture of it. Um, but that masculine principle is about to do, to do. I've got a goal. I've always got a goal. I'm going to achieve that goal. I've got, you know, we go to school and we're trained. You've got to function in this life. You've got to have a job, get up at this time. Da, da, da. And it's all around measurement and judgment. Did you get an A? Did you get a B? Was that good, bad, right, wrong, black, white? All of that is the masculine principle. But it's also a really amazing principle because it's a protective, it's the boundaries, it's all of that. So that isn't all bad there's a shadow of it and the same with the feminine isn't there is um the feminine principle is is do we ever give ourselves time to be creative because that's where we get the best ideas or you know the feeling and the senses is that we can stop sensing the messages of our body and not be in our body but just up in our head and um so when we're talking about the feminine a lot of the time that's what what, what we're talking about is that um creative sensitive um and not sensitive 
in the shadow, but sensitive as in being intuitive and being able to pick up and feel and all of that. Yeah. So that's what came through that that was the only thing that I didn't get to say. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and in terms of sensitivity, yeah, I mean, I you know, I kind of work with a lot of highly sensitive people, highly sensitive men, highly sensitive women. You know, in Western society, you know, I mean, sensitivity is something that is not looked at as a strength, but for me. No. Sensitivity is a strength. I mean, goodness me, the world needs more sensitivity, clearly. Yes. And in the Jungian model, yeah, I mean, the animus, the animal and the animus, you know, the, his idea of kind of balance, balancing two things out, you know, and I think, you know, this is kind of a personal kind of judgment, but, you know, in terms of the whole world, you know, there's far too much masculine energy. We need balance, you know, and I think this is true of men men's internal world you know men need to balance out some of that binary logical rational thinking you know kind of male energy with you know with a bit more feminine energy with sensitivity and you know and i don't mean that particularly in a gender sense but you know then yeah. there has to be more balance i think going forward so i'm really resonating with, with what you're saying yeah. and also you know i just wanted to say praise indeed about my hosting you know i was quite nervous because obviously you are you know, a specialist in public speaking, so it's nice to hear. Yeah. It was okay. Yeah. But, uh, but Anna, listen, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. It's been a no, really, it's really interesting show, and uh, and really nice to see you again. And uh, yeah, thank yeah, you, Mark. Have a nice weekend. Nice to see you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you have been affected by any of the topics we discussed today, then please reach out to your country's um, mental health helplines. We have quite a few international listeners, and so mental health support services and helplines will vary from country to country. Uh, in the UK, Samaritans, I think, is the most easily accessible and can be accessed by searching for Samaritans online or calling 116 one two three and reaching out to other people and other services such as perhaps your counsellor uh, your gp or mental health worker a mental health first aider or a trusted friend or family member um, often when we're upset it's we feel it's difficult to reach out but reaching out can be tremendously helpful and therapeutic and also to remember that it's okay to not be okay <laughs>